0: Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS, College Radio, right here, FM. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Our first announcement today is that we're going to have to postpone what was planned to be a discussion on today's show of Mad Cow Disease. We're going to put that off till next week. It's going to be a special program. We're going to invoke the entire hour two, the matter. It's a complex subject. It deserves an hour. We're going to have some excellent guests, and um, it'll be worth your while. Stay tuned for that one. I'd like to start this program with a bit of levity. Uh, so Mr. McMillan, will you queue up a bit of uh, sound recording from last year? And then we're going to Washington DC to take back the White House. Yeah! That of course was punk rocker Howard Dean, <laughs> now the Democratic National Committee Chair. You know, that whole thing last year about that so-called scream, uh, make, meaning he wasn't presidential timber, that was, the, that was really dirty pool politics. But anyway, someone made a very funny little uh, quick musical riff on it, and so I thought I would share that to start the hour. I do hope that Howard Dean can do some good things to the Democratic Party, uh, like maybe the good doctor can perform a cardioversion uh, on, on the fibrillating heart of, of the Democratic Party. We should also note, looking ahead, that we're going to have some fabulous guests in the months to come. John Perkins, author of *Confessions of an Economic Hitman*, is coming to the San Francisco area in early April, and we were, going to have, we're going to have him on the show in late March. Also in April, we're planning to bring you Dr. Jared Diamond. We've quoted many times in the show for some of his classic science bits, the one on Easter Island. We've cited many times. He's written a book called *Collapse: How Societies Choose to Succeed or Fail*. That will be interesting. And with the news coming from Mars, there appears to be a frozen sea located near the Martian equator. We're going to try and go to planetary scientist uh, Dr. William Hartman to talk about some of the developments uh, out there on the red planet. And uh, later on this very show, in our second segment, we're going to talk to our um, aviation correspondent, Vladimir Zarevika. Stay tuned for that. And by way of follow-up, we'd note on one of our January programs, we were looking back at the year 2004 with an email from Lisa noting that there were some good things that had taken place. One of them was the fact that uh, Congress cut funding for the weapon called the Robust Nuclear Earth Penetrator. We noted at that time from the email that this this new bomb designed to burrow underground and destroy bunkers was a bad idea and it was quite a victory to get rid of it. Well, we apparently spoke a bit prematurely. To quote from uh, New Scientist magazine, February 12th issue, it seemed too good to be true when the U.S. Congress last year blocked funding for bunker-busting nuclear weapons, and so it was. This week, the administration has come back with a request for $8.5 million to revive the project. The U.S. already has conventional earth-penetrating bombs which destroy underground targets, but they can't get through rock to reach deeper Toughened bunkers. So the Pentagon and the National Nuclear Security Administration have spent $23 million on a study of the robust nuclear earth penetrator that can cut through 30 meters of rock. To continue quoting from uh, from New Scientist, many fear the project will lead to renewed nuclear weapons testing and encourage battlefield nuclear weapons. Opposition from non-proliferation groups led to Congress's decision to cut funding, but Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld is keen to press on with the RNEP. News item we may want to bring up when we have uh, John Perkins, the former economic hitman on the show, is this little item. The U.S. ambassador to Mexico, Tony Garza, is marrying the richest woman in Mexico. Garza's fiancée, Maria Asuncion Aramburu Zubala, is a top executive in her family's company, Grupo Modelo, which brews Corona beer and owns Mexico's largest media empire. You know, Mexico's having an election next year, and we need to talk a little bit about that, uh, how politics is done in our neighbor to the south. It's, uh, it's generally speaking about as corrupt as it comes. And speaking of Mexico... Uh, The Mexican government is furious over the U.S. State Department, uh, which has an advisory out warning tourists about a rash of abductions in Mexican border towns. Apparently in January, or apparently in the last six months, 27 Americans have been kidnapped. Two were killed and 11 remain missing. The uh, previously mentioned U.S. Ambassador Tony Garza blamed drug traffickers and said local authorities were incapable of, quote, coming to grips, unquote, with the problem. Mexican President Vicente Fox says his country does not accept judgment from any foreign government. While a top Fox aide said it was American demand for narcotics that was driving the trade. If you need some sun south of of the border, you might want to consider Costa Rica. As we mentioned on our December show, pretty nice place. No abductions going on down there. One of the more perplexing stories come from overseas. There's apparently a, a big stink going on in the British Parliament over the banning of fox hunting. <laughs> it's, uh, so much so that Prime Minister Tony Blair has adopted a rather low profile about the whole thing. They're trying to get around a new law by using only a couple of dogs for a fox hunt. Uh, there were 35 dogs that, were, um, that uh, were out there for the last legal hunt before the ban went into effect, and that doesn't seem very sporting to me. One fox, 35 dogs, in fact, where is the sport in that? You, you turn a fox loose, you let out 35 dogs, and you ride your horses until the dogs catch up with the fox and tear it to pieces. Hmm. I think that makes bullfighting look good. On a lighter note, uh, evidently a Jordanian man spent three months wooing a married woman on, through internet chat rooms. He agreed to a clandestine meeting and discovered when he got there he'd been trying to seduce his own wife. The wife fainted and a furious Bacher Mellum shouted, I DIVORCE YOU! And apparently a mystery dating back to World War II was uh, solved uh, last um, last week when a former U.S. soldier said that he was the person who slipped a cyanide capsule to Hermann Goering in 1946 allowing Hitler's second-in-command to escape the gallows through suicide. Herbert Lee Stivers, 78, was a 19-year-old prison guard at Nuremberg during the Nazi war crime trials. He said he brought Goering the pill, which he thought was medication, at the request of a pretty German girl named Mona, whom he was trying to impress. Goering, of course, was uh, closely guarded, and his cheating the hangman uh, has left historians puzzled as to how that happened. Stivers, the apparently guilty uh, party, said he was coming forward now to set the record straight. I never saw Mona again, he told the Los Angeles Times. I guess she used me. And of course, the Michael Jackson trial has started, which is going to focus all of America's, uh, you know, judicial uh, court channel TV sort of coverage onto this this fiasco. Personally, I'm rooting for the courts. Michael Jackson has been, uh, been uh, molesting boys now for a long, long time, and I think it's time he got some help in a professional setting, preferably behind bars. This might be a good moment to, uh, to note that the opinions expressed on this program are those of the host alone, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, the Regents of the University of California, or really uh, anyone else. But I'd say the only reason Michael Jackson didn't do time a long time ago was like a twenty million dollar bribe to the families of a boy he'd been molesting previously. The lawyer who brokered that deal, by the way, Mr. Johnny Cochran. Let us uh, let's go to one of our favorites uh, to excerpt the Week magazine, their "Good Week for Bad Week for" section. It was a good week for. Self-destruction, according to the magazine, with the news that the struggling National Hockey League, already the least popular of the major pro sports, canceled its entire season due to a contract dispute with players. It was also apparently a good week for gullibility, according to the magazine, after a married New Jersey businessman sued the maker of an herbal penis enlargement pill for false advertising. Michael Caluzzi, 35, said he'd swallowed every one of the 30 pills and, quote, experienced no increase in penis size, unquote. Two items from the Only in America file. A Wisconsin man who drove a forklift for a Miller beer distributor was fired after a newspaper published a picture of him drinking a Bud. Isaac Aguero was photographed at a bar for an article about local nightlife. Bud Light's my beer of choice, said Aguero. It was Saturday and I wasn't at work. They can't tell me what beverages I can drink. Hello, Jacoby and Meyer? And a California elementary school is requiring that all students wear ID tags that can be tracked through radio signals. The scanning system designed to monitor inventory and livestock will track students at the Britain School District. Tim Crabtree, a teacher, said the tags would improve security. It's baffling why so many people are bothered by the district being able to tell them where their kids are at. I hope Mr. Crabtree's not the English teacher. And ex-teacher Mary Kay Latourneau is marrying the former pupil she raped when he was in her sixth grade class. Latourneau, 43, was a married mother of four when she began having sex with Vili Fuulao, then 12. She went to prison for six months in 1997, pregnant with the boy's child, and was promptly sent back for seven and a half more years after being caught having sex with him again. couple of other legal items, the U.S. Supreme Court is hearing arguments about uh, the matter of eminent domain. Apparently in Connecticut, the local authorities decided to condemn some houses and knock them down so they could build a shopping center to improve the economy of a blighted area. We've mentioned before this topic, we, we really have to do a special show on this with some of our legal uh, legal eagles that like, that we like to have come on. Uh, you know, if you're going to build a freeway through a city, you know, you're going to have to knock down some houses, and I can understand eminent domain in, in certain circumstances. But, uh, you know, I've heard cases where they'll, they'll, they'll take property because they want to build a Walmart. This is wrong. Let's see what the Supreme Court decides. And in an article by David Savage for the New York Times, uh, dated February 15th, American pilots who were beaten and abused by Iraqis during the 1991 Persian Gulf War, well, uh, their chapter, um, uh, their story's taken a strange twist. The Bush administration is fighting these former prisoners of war in court, trying to prevent them from collecting nearly $1 billion from Iraq that a federal judge awarded them as compensation for their torture. But the, the rationale behind fighting them is that, you know, Iraq, the Iraqis today are good guys and they need the money. This case pits the U.S. government against its own war heroes and the Geneva Convention. Many of the pilots were tortured in the same prison, Abu Ghraib, where American soldiers abused Iraqis 15 months ago. Those Iraqi victims deserve compensation, according to Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, but the American victims of Iraqi torturers are not entitled to similar payments from Iraq, the U.S. government says. This case is also headed for the Supreme Court, and we will definitely return to it. We noticed also that George Bush was assuring people over in Europe that there's no way the U.S. is going to invade Iran. How silly. Of course, as you recall, the six-month ramp-up to the war in Iraq was filled with similar disclaimers. We wanted to get the story of A.Q. Khan, who made Time magazine's cover a couple weeks ago as The Merchant of Menace, the world's most dangerous nuclear trafficker, but we're going to have to put that one off a bit uh, too. Um, uh, It is pretty interesting. Here's a guy that was offering his services in nuclear weapons technology to people like Iran, North Korea, and Libya, all of whom accepted. It's been noted in the 1990s that the father of the Pakistani atomic bomb, began selling nuclear secrets to anyone willing to buy. He even printed up a glossy brochure that uh, was obtained by the military trade magazine Jane's Defense Weekly in order to market himself to potential customers. As far as I know, our good friends, the Pakistani government, uh, uh, will not produce Mr. A. Q. Khan for questioning about just who he sold stuff to. I, I think we ought to do that, don't you think? It doesn't seem in Lebanon, by the way, they've been able to produce any evidence that uh, Syria was behind that assassination of the ex-Prime Minister, but, uh, you know, right on the, the hit list after Iran is Syria. So, uh, so yes, we must continue to monitor those events, and, and we shall. And let's close our, our roundup here in segment one about uh, the ongoing story of The federal judge ruling on Time Magazine's Matthew Cooper and the New York Times' Judith Miller to testify before a federal grand jury or else they may have to go to jail. Article by Howard Kurtz in the Washington Post, which was uh, in, in last weekend's B notes that uh, that a lot of people, like Michael Massing, contributing editor at Colum- the Columbia Journalism Review, who criticized Judith Miller's reporting on whether Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Uh, she reported they did. Uh, they, in fact, did not. Worse, her source was Ahmed Chalabi, who is, by the way, uh, uh, doing very well in, in Iraq. He's going to make an appearance in the parliament having evidently won a seat in that last election, a fact that has been very much glossed over by the mainstream media. But it's been said that despite her sloppy reporting, uh, Judith Miller's image has been rehabilitated a bit now that she's been threatened with jail. Quoting Lucy Doglish, executive director for the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, there's been incredible public bewilderment about this case. People are saying, wait a minute, why are those two going to jail when it was Bob Novak who got the leak. Why didn't they just ask Novak? I hear that six times a day. The prosecutor in the case, Patrick Fitzgerald, has declined to discuss his tactics for the matter. Howard Kurtz noted that one complicating factor for Miller and Cooper is that they are not protecting some whistleblower ripping the lid off of government corruption, Critics, including some journalists, point out they are protecting administration officials who tried to damage a critic of President Bush, former Ambassador Joseph Wilson, by revealing his wife's work for the CIA. Ambassador Wilson has been kind enough to appear on this program twice. We may wish to ask him to come a third time to tell us what he thinks about uh, some of these developments, and perhaps he'll do that. Let's take a short break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I think of all the education that I miss. But then my homework was never quite like this. Oh, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. I'm not the teacher of...